Welcome, everybody, to Pick and Pod. I'm Christian Goey. I'm joined by Tyler Friere in studio. And on the phone is Tom Trezuli. Guys, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Christian? I'm pretty good, guys. Good to be joined by you guys. Tom, I haven't spoken to you in a while. I know you're a fellow Knicks fan. How are you holding in? Well, it's it's been some rough times for uh, for Knicks fans, but we're going to try to focus on at least one positive, I think, today and talk about the, the Phil Jackson coaching situation. But overall, it's been... Very upsetting year to be a Knicks fan. Maybe not as upsetting as last year, but right. still upsetting nonetheless. Yeah, and they're ten and twenty-eight on the season. I mean, not ten and twenty-eight. They're twenty-eight and forty-three on the season. They're three and seven in their last ten. It's really kind of spiraled out of, out of control for the Knicks. We heard the rumors the other week that Phil Jackson may coach home games next year for the Knicks. Kurt Rambis would coach away games. Although I've heard that his confidant uh, has completely. Um, rejected that that rumor, declined that that's a possibility. You know, I, I don't think that would happen. Carmelo said uh, he doesn't want that to happen. I think that's just a complete rumor. I don't know how much truth there is to that. Tom, as a as a fellow Knicks fan, would you be open to Phil Jackson coaching home games? Do you think that would be a cohesive situation, good for the Knicks? Uh, no, I don't think so because you're going to be getting a different message on half of the games of the year. You're going to be getting, even if it is, under the triangle offense, it's still slightly different coaching styles between Coach Rambis or whoever the other coach would have been and Jackson for home games. I'm not surprised that his confidant put it down that he wasn't going to be coaching because he came in pretty much with no desire to coach. He wanted to prove that he could be successful as an executive. He had a great, unbelievable career as a coach. He's proved everything he possibly can as a head coach in this league, and he wanted to prove to himself that he could be just as great as an executive, unfortunately, I don't think we've seen that so far with some of the results during his tenure so far. So overall, I'm, I wouldn't be in favor of him coaching home games just because of the effect it might have on the team. I would be open to him coaching the whole season, but I know that's not, that's not feasible right now. Yeah, no, I agree with Tom 100%. I think Phil Jackson is here to prove himself as an executive, and I think just time for him to coach is done. He has 11 rings coaching, nothing really else for him to prove. So I just think he needs to prove himself as an executive and to get this Knicks team a roster that Melo could win with, and that's his main goal. I don't think coaching should be on his mind right now. You should find someone maybe under, I think Luke Walton would be a good choice, uh, who's been uh, under Phil Jackson's wing, so to speak, for a while now. I just think it's, um, it's time for Knicks to find the right coach and for Phil to just get the right pieces in for that coach and surround Mello with a with a decent amount of players to get this this team rolling yeah you know guys I think one of the central things you need for a coach is a guy who actually wants to coach I don't get the feeling that Phil Jackson wants to coach he's always he's always said that that was one of the stipulations in his contract or with Dolan and in discussions that he would not return to coaching his health is is an issue he said he's going to be 70 um or he is 70 years old so I don't I don't think it's a good idea for him to coach just because he doesn't want to coach and his health doesn't exactly permit it. And even if even if he did want to just coach home games, Phil Jackson and Kurt Rambis, a two-headed coaching situation, I don't think that's ever been done before. I don't yeah. know what kind of chemistry you can build or how co- cohesive the team can be when you have two different coaches. I, it doesn't seem like a normal situation, but then again, dysfunctionality is uh, synonymous <laughs> with the Knicks. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I think this is really a completely media-driven issue. I think the Knicks are going through a lot of problems this year after a really promising start with Porzingis playing well and stuff like 
and stuff of that nature. But I think the media is just trying to conjure up a story to look for something to bring a positive out of this season. You know, we're, we're doing bad right now, but maybe Phil Jackson will jump in and coach the home games next season, trying to give the fans some hope. But I, I, what I, the point I'm trying to get across is that when looking for the coach next season, I think something the Knicks should do is adjust their system, their coaching system, to fit the type of players that they have. I don't think they have the players to run the triangle right now. Either get players that will fit the system more or have the coach adjust their system to fit the players that they have. And an example of that is Steve Clifford with the Hornets right now. He lost Al Jefferson, and now he's running his offense much more perimeter-based instead of through a big man underneath. And it's been very successful. They, they've, uh, they're eight games over 500. They just had that great win over the Heat earlier this week. So I think one of two things, either uh, get, get more players to fit the system or have a coach that will adjust to the players that we have now. Yeah, I agree. And just to clarify, the confidant of Phil Jackson, I don't know why I didn't mention it, but you know we've become so accustomed to his name. is Charlie Rosen. He writes you know, that blog uh, uh, where Phil Jackson kind of lets him know what's going on with the Knicks, and, and you know it's made some headlines, Charlie Rosen's pieces. Um, but he said there's 0%, zero percent, uh, chance that you know he comes and coaches home and away, uh, that home and away scenario, and that it's just absolutely not true. It's so... I, I believe, you know, obviously Charlie Rosen's close. He's, he's called a confidant for a reason. He's close to Phil Jackson. I don't think there's any chance Phil Jackson will coach. He's been adamant that he won't coach, and I think that's good, and I agree with you, Tom. But, Tom, you know, I've, I've gotten Tyler's opinion on this. I've gotten, you know, the head guy, Kevin Kelly's opinion on this. Um, I like Tom Thibodeau as the future Knicks coach. I need to know who you think should be the coach of the Knicks. Well, first of all, to clear up what I said, I kind of misspoke a little bit. Not Al Jefferson isn't gone. It's just his numbers are right. down from last Diminish year, and it. they got more perimeter players on the roster. But uh, in terms of Tom Thibodeau, I am very in favor of him coming in. I'm a huge fan of what he's accomplished with the Bulls because in the majority of his time there, he hasn't had great offensive players, and he's really used defense to have all of that success. Derrick Rose was injured so much of his tenure there and he was still able to have success with medium skill players on the offensive end and I think that's what the Knicks have right now they don't have a lot of big offensive weapons they have Carmelo they have Kristaps once in a while who can go off but other than that they really don't have a lot on offense and I think Tom Thibodeau will be able to work with the roster that they have now and really bring in a defensive culture that I think the Knicks have been missing since uh, Mike Woodson was was let go so I would definitely – he would be my number one choice to bring in. Unfortunately, I don't think he will be because he doesn't fit the triangle system. Yeah, Tyler, you can go. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. I think it's time for the Knicks to get a defensive-minded head coach in there to kind of sharpen up the weaknesses that has been hurting the Knicks for a decade now. It's just been – it's been defense that's been their issue, and I think Tom Thibodeau would be a perfect fit. But like Tom said, I just don't see it. I, a name that I keep mentioning, I mentioned it last week, is Luke Walton. I mean, Phil Jackson yeah. has um, has said it plenty of times that Luke Walton is a great basketball mind. He learned from Hall of Fame father in Luke, I mean, excuse me, in Bill. Uh, I just think if Luke Walton could find, if they could find a way to get Luke off that bench in Golden State to come back to, to come to New York and 
work with Phil again, I think that would be a perfect fit for the Knicks. Yeah, you know, and, and the one thing I think <laughs> that needs to be clarified, I, I mean, I like Phil Jackson still. I haven't given up on Phil Jackson. I think, you know, he's had, he hasn't had a lot to work with in New York with lack of draft picks. I mean, the one draft pick that he had was Christoph Porzingis, and I think he hit a home run right there. But the thing with, with Phil Jackson, the coaching situation, if he doesn't go with a triangle guy, he's got to let the guy impose his own system. It can't just be the triangle offense. You know, you heard Steve Kerr, he said, I don't run the triangle offense in Golden State. He runs a blend of things, a mix of things, like uh, Mike D'Antoni's system that, that was in Phoenix, although us Knicks fans are not very happy to hear Mike D'Antoni. He runs a mix of things. He doesn't really run the triangle, and that was, you know, Phil Jackson's head head candidate, at least that's what we read um, in the in the months leading up to the first coaching uh, search um, a couple years back was was Steve Kerr. Um, he, he he's got to let the next coach, whoever it may be, coach their system, not coach Phil's system, because Phil's not coaching. Um, and I think that's a big problem with the Knicks is Phil re- willing to let a guy coach his own system, not the not Phil's triangle, because Phil. Believe it or not, in my opinion, I think he's really the only guy that can coach the triangle really effectively. Um, mm-hmm. I know he's a big Kurt Rambis guy because they're good friends, but you know, I don't know. I don't. I don't get the feeling Kurt Rambis will ever lead this team. Despite, I mean, unless they get uh, an absurd roster like LeBron James um, joining them, which I don't think will hap- would happen. I can't imagine Kurt Rambis leads this team to um, to being a perennial contender. Yeah, uh, that that brings up two points for me because something I already mentioned is that Steve Kerr, you said, doesn't run the triangle offense. He runs a blend of things, and he probably does that to fit the players that are on his roster, much like yeah. Steve Clifford does with the Hornets. And also, with this whole overarching triangle system with Phil, that narrows down your candidates immediately because it, it gets rid of the coaches that are unwilling to run the triangle offense. I understand that you believe in this system so much, but why would you want to narrow down already before you even start your coaching search the coaches that you can consider for the job? Yeah, yeah. I I, I, I don't know. I, I've maintained my trust with Phil Jackson. Have you, Tom? I, I still will give him more time. I Like you said, I don't think he's had a lot to work with, and he's had one draft pick, and it's been extremely successful so far. So far, I, I definitely trust him with the draft after his first pick. But, yeah, he hasn't had a lot to work with yet. He hasn't had cap space, really. we got to look uh, a couple of years ahead for when he really is going to have cap space and see what he does with it yeah. and if he's able to convince some of these players like Kevin Durant and others to come into New York. Yeah, and, and, and let's let's move on a little bit. with you know We could talk Phil Jackson and the coaching search all day, uh, me, you, and Tyler. But let's move on to Tony Roden. He officially signed with the Knicks yesterday. Um, he signed for the remainder of the season, he, next season as well, which is a non-guaranteed deal. He's not going to play this year. Uh, Rambus really wants you know to be cautious, and so does Roden. Uh, he had surgery in February of last year uh, on his right knee after he tore his ACL. So he's going to be uh, – learning the offense <laughs> and uh, really kind of um, getting healthy uh, because he's still not a full go. Ramos doesn't even see him practicing, uh, you know, with the team um, this season. So I think he's. we're going to wait next for this summer, for Summer League, to watch Roden play in an actual game. But, you know, I, I like 
Tony Roden. I've liked him since his college days at Washington. He's a Seattle guy. He spoke about you know Jamal Crawford and Nate Robinson, and that's why he loved the Knicks growing up is because those guys play for the Knicks, fellow Seattle guys. Um, I like Tony Roden. Um, let me. I want to get your thoughts on Roden because we all know how bad the point guard situation in New York. Tyler, let's start with you. Yeah, I love the signing of Tony Rowan. Uh, averaged 17 points a game with Philly in uh, his breakout season, I would say, two years ago before he tore up his knee. 6'6", wingman who would honestly be a, a big help for Melo to help get the scoring load off his shoulders a bit. When uh, when you see Kristaps going down the way he has been going recently, hitting a rookie wall, so to speak, I just think they need that secondary score on their team, and they, have, they haven't had it this year. And I think Tony Rowan, once healthy and once he – gets this offseason to get correct and get get back in shape, I think he could be a tremendous help to the Knicks. Yeah, I, I agree with that. As a, as a uh, secondary scoring option, as you mentioned, he had a great year last year, 17 points a game, and even the year before that, averaged 13 points a game. The Knicks could even use that type of number because they're really yeah. lacking in terms of scores other than Carmelo and Kristaps. And also, the Knicks are desperately old in the backcourt right now with Jose Calderon and Aaron Aflalo. Uh, Rowan's only 22 years of age, so I think they need to get younger. They can uh, keep continue developing Jaron Grant and get Tony Roten in there at 22 years old and really revamp this backcourt from the geriatric state that it's in right now into a younger, more future-oriented backcourt yeah and am i the only one just that's just baffled you mentioned jerry and grant by how kurt Rambis has used grant i mean i know grant is not you know he's not the next kyrie irving but at least give the guy some more minutes i mean he played oh, he played this, i'm about to go off about this yeah. <laughs> i know you're passionate about this subject tom that's why i wanted to bring it up but you know grant we saw him getting the double figures um against sacramento um He's a guy that brings, you know, penetration. He brings ability to dish it out to teammates. Um, he's only 23, and I think he's 23. And, you know, he offers more than Calderon, I think. We've seen Calderon's ceiling. He's clearly not a very high ceiling. I don't know how much he's got left in the tank. I don't know why Calderon can, continues to get 30-plus minutes a night. But when do you think Rambis is really going to give the reins to Grant? Because we only have about... 13 games? 12 games, is it? Well, it's it's so confusing because in the in the Golden State game, first of all, he got 18 minutes, and the majority of it was in garbage time. Then yeah. in the Washington game, he gets three minutes, scores zero points, has no chance to do anything. And then when he finally gets some decent minutes against Sacramento, 27 minutes, he scores 14 points, has a decent game. We knew already coming in when we drafted him that he was going to be a great Flasher player. He's very quick. He can get to the basket. Has great handles. What he was lacking was a jump shot. And yeah. what we've been seeing in the past few games is that he's been developing that jump shot a little bit. He's been able to knock it down from mid range. I saw it in the Golden State game. I saw it in the Sacramento game. And like you said, there's 11, 12 games left. You're playing for absolutely nothing. If anything, you're trying to get worse so you can get in better draft position. So why are you not throwing in this young guy, one of the few guys on this roster, aside from Porzingis, that has potential to do something in the future? I, I don't get what Kurt Rambis is thinking. You're not going to make the playoffs. You, we pretty much knew from the All-Star break that the Knicks weren't going to make the playoffs. So what are you playing for right now that you have to throw in Jose Calderon for 30 minutes a game and not trying to develop this young guy? 
Yeah, no, I agree a hundred percent with Tom. And this this kind of rem- this situation reminds me of Jimmy Fredette and how he couldn't get on the oh, floor. That was that was bad too. And Why I think you call up the guy and you don't give him any minutes. I, exactly. I, I honestly thought that was the most absurd thing I've ever honestly seen from a uh, like you get this. Jimmy Fredette is a twenty three point a game score in the D League. You call him up to a ten day contract and you make him sit on the bench for three games when. And he put him in with 60 seconds left. And what is he supposed to prove with 60 with a with a minute left in the game? I just I thought that was a bad move by the Knicks. Yeah, they're they're not they're not even seeing what they have. They're just kind of rolling out the guys who have been there because they've worked hard and because they've been there since training camp and because they want to make the playoffs. It's not going to happen. You're not going to make the playoffs. We all know you're not going to make the playoffs. It's a nice message, but guess what's an even a better message? Showing your young guys that you believe in them and that you want to develop them. Uh, yeah, it, it it angers me just as much as it does you guys. I mean, I think Grant. I don't know if he's going to be a star, but I think he's better than Calderon. I already think he's better than at Calderon. this point, absolutely. So you know, and and I want to ask you guys. You know, it we all we all know Rondo is going to be a free agent. Col- Conley's going to be a free agent. Say the Knicks strike out on either one of them, because you know what, the way things have been going, they may strike out on either one of them. So. Do you guys feel comfortable? I know we haven't seen Roden play, and I know and I know Grant doesn't get a lot of minutes. Do you guys feel comfortable going into next season with Roden Grant as your point guards for the New York Knicks? Um, yeah, I'll jump in on this one first. But we're also going to have Calderon on the roster, whether we like well, it or not. He's guaranteed for seven million next year. Can't they use a, a provision on him and and and? and I think they can cut cut ties with them, but we'll have to clarify they, they that. They could, but I think they would take a take a cap hit or something. Yeah. I was reading something about that. They could take the cap hit. They could cut him, but it would have a negative, uh, negative, uh, co- you know, consequence. But the one positive, if they keep Calderon along with Roden and Grant, he's recently come out and said that he's a hundred percent okay with coming off the bench next right. year despite Kurt Rambis playing him starting him 30 minutes a game here and one positive thing that you always hear about Jose Calderon is that he's a great teammate and a great mentor he's been a great mentor for Porzingis in his in his first year here so if you're going to have a pretty decent at at times three-point shooter in Jose Calderon and a good teammate and mentor mentoring Tony Roden when as Calderon comes off the bench, I think it's okay to keep him on the roster as a mentor to the young point guards like Roten and, and Grant, but still have them start and have Calderon come off the bench as a, as a decent three-point shooter and maybe maybe a scorer sometimes off the bench. Yeah, I think best-case scenario would be to land Conley or Rondo, yeah. who would run that offense, I think, beautifully. But like you said, if, if it turns out just to be Jose Calderon and Tony Roten, Tom mentioned it. Uh, there's a lot of rumblings around the league that Jose is a great teammate. He doesn't mind coming off the bench, like Tom said. And I think if he can find a way to mold these young point guards and just let whoever the coach of the Knicks is, whoever the coach is the Knicks next year, just make sure like you give the those guards a shot before you just you know put them on the bench and don't don't really let them see what they can do. So I think if you have Tony Rowe and Jerry and Grant starting next year with Jose coming off the bench, I think that could be a decent a decent fit. Yeah, I agree with you guys, but I think I, I I don't know how they can sell us on Calderon starting next year, the way things have gone. But that, well, yeah, uh, we hope you'd like to hope that it's off the bench and not historic. Right, right. I mean, I'd like to see Roden start, and and if if not Roden Grant, but let's 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 move on to the other New York team, and that's Brooklyn. Um, 
19 and 51. They've lost three straight. They lost last night in a close one to Charlotte, 105 100 at home. They've been playing pretty well considering how poorly they've their record uh, is, how poor their record is. But I, I think Tony Brown's done a pretty good job as the interim head, head coach in Brooklyn. And I think they have some nice pieces. Uh, what do you guys think about this team? You know, they recently just signed Sean Kilpatrick to a multi year deal. He's going to be with the team for next year and the season after. And, and Bogdan, Bogdanovich, we saw go off for 44. What do you guys think about the direction of this team and, and the positives regarding that? Because we always talk about the negatives. It's easy to talk about the negatives. But, you know, they signed Sean Marks, and they have some nice pieces. Yeah, no, Sean Marks is definitely an excellent pickup uh, coming from the Spurs organization, who has been um, probably the best organization in the NBA for the past 20 years. So I think having him at the head of the organization is really key. And um, like you mentioned, Sean Kilpatrick has been playing very well since earning himself a three-year contract. Uh, Bojan Bodanovich, he's been playing very well, hitting the three. You still have Brooke Lopez there, who's a top five, probably top ten center now. He's kind of fell off a little bit. I just think um, what really hurts them is just not having that pick this year because that, that yeah, kind of limits that, that, their, yeah, definitely. That limits their growth uh, in this offseason. It's going to be hard to land a free agent with um, – I know it's New York and it's Brooklyn, but the way they've been playing, I don't see a, a superstar really wanting to come to Brooklyn. So having that draft pick loss it hurts him a bit. But I like Sean Kilpatrick. I like Bojan uh, Bojan Bodanovic. Uh, I think they have some upside, but it's just it's just tough to say right now. Yeah, I, I agree with you in the fact that the the draft pick hurts their upside a lot. But there's been a lot of positives, and you mentioned Sean Marks coming from the Spurs. I think what he's done so far, he's pretty much over a month, a little bit over a month into his tenure so far, and what he's done is steady the ship after Billy King got the Nets into this mess that they're in right now right. with no draft picks in the luxury tax, over the cap, and stuff like that. He, he bought out Bargnani and Joe Johnson, which were moves that really needed to be done, even though they took hit money-wise. They needed to cut those guys. They were really negative to the team at that point. And you mentioned Sean Kilpatrick, who he signed out of obscurity. He was a guy who spent a lot of time in the D-League, uh, played a couple of NBA games, but not even a ton of NBA experience. And now he's he's scored in double figures seemingly like every game, and now he's gotten a three-year contract. So those are the two big moves so far from Marks, and they've both been successes. And in terms of Bogdanovich, he – I think has really benefited from the fact that Joe Johnson is gone because he's getting a lot more minutes at that position. He had 44 against Philadelphia at 26, the next game against Chicago and then 19 against Detroit. So he's really thriving in that spot that was left open by uh, the Joe Johnson vacancy. And he's also come out and praised Tony Brown's more free flowing offense as opposed to Lionel Holland. And he's uh, playing a lot better and scoring more in that free flowing offense with the more minutes from Joe Johnson being gone. So with those two players and Sean Marks doing well so far at the GM position, there is a little bit of upside, but they're probably not going to attract stars, as Tyler mentioned, because the Nets usually don't attract stars. And uh, with the lack of draft picks, that also is hard to look at the upside. Yeah, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but you just spoke of the praise that was given to Tony Brown. Do you think Tony Brown is a guy they could potentially keep as head coach uh, come off come the offseason because it's not a very attractive job offer to, to many people, um, you know, to coach the Nets considering their lack of options with, with cap and with uh, the draft. Do you think he's a guy that, that they should maybe keep in-house? Um, yes, 
because I think unless there's really like a lot of options out there, I don't know if a guy like Tom Thibodeau will want to come to the Nets, as you mentioned, because it's a bad a bad situation uh, with the no draft picks and everything like that. But considering the circumstances, I think Tony Brown has, has done a good job with the players that he has and with the situation that he's in. He's done he's had more success than Lionel Hollins had with these players, and Lionel Hollins was a proven coach in the NBA. So I think both Tony Brown and Marks have done well as well as they possibly could, I think, so far in trying to right the ship in really a drastic situation. Yeah. Well, the cap is going to expand this year. Uh, we've heard them link to guys like Demar Derozan. And I think you know Young and and Brooks said they want to try and recruit it. They want to try to recruit him a little bit. Uh, Conley, that Lionel Hollins connection is now gone. They fired Lionel Hollins, but Conley's going to be out there. Uh, Ronda's going to be out there. Maybe Brandon Jennings, a lesser option. But do you guys think they could pull in any of these free agents? Uh, do you, is there any guy in particular that you want to see them go after? It's going to be tough, like you said, to get a. A perennial superstar to come to their team. So, like you, like you said, Christian, if you can get that secondary star type player, like a Brandon Jennings, who's been somewhat proven himself in this league, probably around like 15 points a game, seven assists. If you could find a way to get like a decent point guard to go along with Brook Lopez and Bojan and Sean Kilpatrick, that would be good. And then point guards are so important in this league that I think that should be their main priority this off season. As for names that would come to them, uh, other than Brandon Jennings, it's really slipping my mind, but they just need to find that second-tier point guard, which really would help them get over the hump. I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, we already mentioned this a little bit. I, In terms of the real big stars coming to the Nets, it's not an attractive destination. And even if it was a semi-decent team, the Nets, in terms of getting free agents, they've not really been very successful in that. They weren't able... Uh, to, to get Carmelo, even though that was a, a trade situation. And just the big stars, they're not able to usually come to the Nets. And as you mentioned DeRozan. I think DeRozan loves the situation he's in right now, playing with Kyle Lowry in Toronto. I think he loves the city, loves the fans, and yeah. he's playing the best basketball of his career right now, along with Lowry. So I don't know that he would leave Toronto. I believe he won't. Uh, in terms of Brandon Jennings, I think that might be a possibility if the money's right, because he's not a not a big star and I agree with Tyler that he can help the situation because their point guard situation is pretty pretty dire right now as it is with the Knicks so I, I think the Brendan Jennings free agent signing is a lot more realistic than maybe a DeRozan one but, and I definitely think if Jennings came in he'd be a help yeah and uh, yeah I, so like I, I would go with I would go with Jennings being the more realistic. I, I like the Brandon Jennings idea. I, I, you know, if Kilpatrick, this is why these last few games are so vital, I think, to, to the Nets and the recruitment is if Kilpatrick plays very well, you know, 25 points career high last night, 9-12 shooting, if he continues to play like that and Boyan Bogdanovich continues to shoot the lights out and Brooke Lopez, is, you know, he's played very well and Thaddeus Young and, and they got Rondé Hollis-Jefferson back from injury. If they kind of show that this unit is developing and they have some young talent there, I think you could get a guy like Brandon Jennings at a low price and, and, and with a good coaching situation starting fresh with Sean, Sean Marks as your GM, I think you could have a little bit of a, of a, good, of a good team brewing in Brooklyn. But it's going to take a lot of things to happen. They're going to have to actually play very well. They're going to have to, to, to continue to develop in these last few games and, and see if they have the right uh, pitch to these guys that they're trying to recruit. But I think it's it's not as bleak as it once seemed. 
to be honest with you, Chris, you and me are both uh, Knicks fans. I think that the Nets situation right now, even though they have a worse record, is probably better for the future than the Knicks situation is right wow. now. I don't have really any hope for well uh, going forward. I have hope in Phil Jackson, but I think in terms of the situation right now, I think the Nets are in better shape. I disagree just for one reason. That's because Porzingis. I think Porzingis, who although has had a little bit of a wall right now, I think guys will be attracted to come to New York eventually because Porzingis is a star in the making. And, and when you have a guy like that, you have a guy to build around. Versus yeah, the Nets, so. they have a bunch of good players, but I don't think they have that star like the Knicks do with Porzingis. You know, there's hopefully, yeah. We, Porzingis, obviously, we don't know if he's going to be the, that star yet. The, the Nets, the Knicks, definitely have the edge in like a young player that has a future. In in terms of the overall roster, they have some, like you said, some good players there: Brooke Lopez, Hollis Jefferson, Thaddeus Young, who's turned into a decent player, Kilpatrick, if he can keep it up, and Bogdanovich. That's a pretty, you know, a solid group. And if you can add a Brandon Jennings to that. That'd be nice. The only thing is they don't have that draft pick, which would probably go in the Knicks' favor as they do. In regards to the Knicks, I think which would really help in this offseason and which could turn around this franchise is a Rajon Rondo signing. Melo has uh, said that it would be a perfect fit in the Knicks system. He said that recently. And um, Phil Jackson has, of course, um, praised Rondo as uh, he actually beat one of his teams in the NBA Finals back in 08. I think if the Knicks can find a way to get Rajon Rondo along with Melo and Kristaps, that would be I think that would be a lethal combination just because Rondo will get them the ball when they need it at the right spots at the right times. He's that type of point guard averaging 12 assists this year, has led the league in assists multiple times. I just think if you can get Rajon Rondo to the New York Knicks this offseason, I I think playoffs is definitely in the horizon and definitely more upside. But it just comes down to signing that point guard because that's uh, it's most important in this league now. Yeah, you know, we heard Chauncey Billups, Melo's ex-teammate, say, Melo needs a point guard. He needs a guy that can set the offense, that can get him the ball. You know, Melo's not the point guard of this team, and that's Melo's been bringing the ball up the court more. He's been He's relied on him to do too much, and that's when the Knicks fail is when Carmelo has to do everything. You know, when Raymond Felton was playing his best basketball, and yes, I just used Raymond Felton's name in this podcast, <laughs> yeah. that's when uh, Carmel, that's when they won 54 games, 53 or 54 games um, in 2013, and they and they went as far as they did. Um, that's when they're at their best is when Melo has a point guard, and like like it was in Denver when he had Billups. And you mentioned that year with the Knicks when they won uh, about 54 games a couple years ago. They had Jason Kidd, who yeah. was a veteran leader who – took that offense and said, hey, I'll, I'll get you the ball when you need it and just sit back, Melo, you, you take your shots. And I think that's important when you're playing with a, a scorer like Melo who doesn't really f- facilitate an offense the way a point guard normally should be. Yeah, I can. And on the, yeah. yeah, and on the, on the Knicks, in his tenure on the Knicks, Melo has never really had that elite point guard. The best situation he's had was Raymond Felton along with Jason Kidd in the last year of his career. That's honestly the best point guard situation that he's had on the Knicks, so we haven't really been able to see what he can do if he has that elite point guard. Yeah, it, you know, it just feeds into my. We're not going to get into it, but that's why I get so angry at the people who who kind of don't like Mallow and they don't give him a chance because the guys has never had really a superstar teammate like LeBron and Wade and 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 all these guys. Durant's got Westbrook and and. You know the Warriors are a great team. Every every great team has more than one guy, and Carmelo eventually apparently doesn't need that one other guy. People just blame it all on Carmelo. I know they shouldn't be as bad as they are. That's that's the argument. That look, if Carmelo's such a superstar, why are they twenty eight and forty three? But he doesn't have a team really. He's got a lousy team. So 
that's let's wrap up the New York sports because I'm about ready to get a migraine like Carmelo had. Um, let's move on to around the league. Cavaliers 50 and 20, still top in the East. But for whatever reason, there's always turmoil. There's always bad bad news going around going around with LeBron and the Cavaliers. The the chemistry is just never great. It feels like with this team, Kevin Love, Kyrie Irving, for for, for whatever reason, injuries maybe. Um, they just are not. The, the combination we thought they would be with, with LeBron, but they're still top in the East. And LeBron unfollowed the Cavaliers on Twitter. I think that he, he people think that's being overblown. Some people don't. Um, you know, he said last year, apparently this is what he did last year. It's called Zero Dark 23, as he calls it. Uh, somebody close to him said he does this, he did this last year. It's to get focused on the playoffs. But I still think it's kind of a story, you know, because um, he's going to be a free agent this season. Tyler, what do you think? I definitely think it's a story because if you wanted to stay away from social media, you could just stay away. I don't think you have to unfollow somebody. Good point. If yeah. if you wanted to not look at Twitter, you just don't look at Twitter. So I, unfollowing him, I think everything LeBron does is strategic business-wise and um, off-the-court-wise. Everything he does, I think, is very st- strategic. So I think this is a little foreshadowing for when he enters free agency and maybe he doesn't want to have so much ties to the Cleveland organization. That's a little speculation. Let's just see how they do this this postseason. But like I said, if you wanted to stay away from Twitter, you could just stay away. So I, I think he unfollowed him for a reason. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's a great point. That along with, I don't know if you guys saw the video of him having a possible conversation with Dwayne Wade as they were walking off the court where he, where he said we're going to reunite next year. It's, it's kind of hard to hear, but people are saying that that's what he said to D Wade walking off the court. Have you guys uh, seen that video? I haven't. No, I, yeah, I've seen it on Twitter. I have. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was on Twitter and it was it was on ESPN actually. So it, I, you know sometimes Twitter has some made up stuff on there, but it was uh, reported on ESPN as well. So I don't know if we can read too much into that or the Twitter thing, but there has been just a lot of reports, and it does seem like LeBron has been disappointed with the situation that has turned out to be in Cleveland. He came to Cleveland. He came back home to try to give his home state, home city, a championship. And he hasn't been able to do that. The three of him, of Kyrie, Kevin Love, and himself have not gelled at all. Kevin Love has become more of a three-point shooter. If anything, he's really regressed, if anything, since he's came to the Cavaliers. And Kyrie Irving has been really derailed by injuries. And I, I think... Uh, LeBron is realizing that in this league to win, you not only need stars on the same team, you need stars that gel together. And he might try to reunite with D. Wade. He might go somewhere else. But he's realizing that he's not gelling with Kyrie and uh, Kevin Love the way he wants to be. And it's very possible that he leaves this team in free agency. He gave it his best shot in Cleveland. It hasn't worked out so far. But I don't think he would... I can't see him leaving this summer. Like, two years is just too soon to leave, in my opinion. Because, you know, when he came here, he was like, it's going to be a process. We're not going to win right right away. Like, I'm not expecting it to be so soon. Like, we're going to have to build. But, like, I can't see him. And then again, I, I don't put anything past LeBron. I think he's losing his mind because he's not, like, the number one player in the NBA anymore. It's Steph Curry. But, mm-hmm. like... How could you do that? How could you come back after all that coming home? I'm coming home. Um, you know, I'm back. We're we're gonna get one for for Cleveland and then leave after two years. I I I know we can't put anything past LeBron, but that I just can't see happening. Like maybe one or two years down the line, he still doesn't have a ring. 
like I could see him joining forces. We saw that report that just came out. Just he would take a pay cut to play with Melo, Chris Paul, Dwayne Wade, yeah. and guys like that. Yeah, CBS reported it. CBS Sports just reported it. You know, I think that's more like down the line in his career. I don't know if that means like this year. I, I mean, do you, do you guys feel differently? Because I don't see how he could leave after two years in Cleveland. Because then, like, he'll he'll be the most hated man in Cleveland. Um, he went through it before. I mean, he left Cleveland before, went to Miami, and probably faced the most scrutiny he's ever faced in his t- entire life. They went through that whole 2011 season as the villain, got to the finals against Dallas, lost. People even hated him more. I, I just think he can handle it at this point. So, I don't like you said, I wouldn't put anything past LeBron. Uh, just like you said, I just think it's too soon also, like two years and then – peace I'm out again I don't know I just think that's really too soon uh in my opinion I actually think it is possible that he would leave Cleveland after two years just just for one reason because I think one knock against people knock LeBron for a lot of things but one knock against him that I completely disagree with is that he is not like a competitor that he doesn't want to win he does I think he's obsessed with winning at this point in his career he Oh yeah, I agree. Wants to win as many championships as possible, and that's his only goal. It started from when he left Cleveland for Miami, and he's been in that mindset ever since. That he wants to build his legacy as as one of the all time greats on that Mount Rushmore of NBA uh, greats. And I think he'll do anything possible to add more rings onto his resume. And if that means leaving Cleveland after two years, that that but, so be it. Because he's getting up there a little bit in age. But why leave Cleveland? You know, like you you just put the city through through everything. Why not just try to get Dwayne Wade to come to Cleveland? He's got a one year deal in Miami. Why not when when his deal expires, try to get Dwayne Wade to come to Cleveland? That's a, that's an idea that I've always been been pretty high on. Why not try to get Dwayne Wade to come to Cleveland? Why not try well, to get the, a trade for Mello or somebody like that? I don't know one, why he would yeah. put Cleveland through that again. The one thing I would say against it i mean it it's it sounds like a good argument but and the one thing i could possibly say against it is that the three of them lebron Kyrie, and kevin love have not gelled together themselves why would you want to bring another big score a guy that needs the ball in his hands well you probably need to trade love yeah i mean if you get rid of love or one of them then maybe that would change it but we'll see i mean it like I, I think that might work if trying to get a player into Cleveland yeah. instead of him leaving because that would just make him even more of a villain than he was the first time leaving Cleveland. Yeah, you know, I know LeBron wants to win and everything, but if he leaves Cleveland, I'm 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 afraid for his life. Like, yeah, I'm, I, he's a player in NBA history. He will not be able to to attend those games when they have to go back to Cleveland. Like whoever he's playing for, whenever they have a game in Cleveland, I I would strongly advise them not to let him play in those games <laughs> because if he leaves Cleveland, they'll burn the arena down. I'm, I'm convinced. <laughs> gonna get assassinated. I mean, could you imagine if, if something like that in New York happened? If if a guy like I don't know, let's just say a beloved guy like Patrick Ewing had 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 left the Knicks and then had come back and after two years had left them again, <laughs> what New oh. York would have done? Oh, my God. We I, would have stormed the court if he the next game. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, just, I, just, the I just think that would be so wrong for LeBron to do that. But then again, LeBron didn't have to come back to Cleveland. It's his, it's his life. He could have stayed in Miami. I was surprised he came back to Cleveland. So kudos to him for coming back to Cleveland. But then again, two years, I, I, that – 
that's a tough sell for me. You you can't be like, oh, I just did all this. I just put everybody through this, and now I'm leaving because I don't like Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving. But that's the East. Do you guys think any any team in the East could beat them? They're fifty and twenty. I don't think they're really that. They're, they're they're they have anything to worry about. I think they'll be in the championship. But do you guys think any team in the East could beat them? I don't. I the one team that comes to my mind right away is just the team right behind them is Toronto. Game and I, ha- yeah, I don't take Toronto seriously. I've, so, I've told that to you many times. Yeah, no, they've got swept last year, so I understand where you're coming from. They haven't made noise in the playoffs. They lost to Brooklyn the two years ago when um yeah yeah. So they haven't been doing well in the postseason. But I think this year, I think Kyle Lowry and uh, Demar Derozan had that time to like groom, and they're both all stars now. And with that backcourt, it's one of the best in the league. Probably yeah, they're great. probably behind Steph and Clay. Uh, as for a seven game series against Cleveland. It's going to be nah, tough. Nah. I don't see him winning, but that's just the number one team that comes to my mind. A secondary team quick would just be Miami, three seed. They're, Could um, you imagine if Miami beat, beat LeBron? He would probably go back. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, yeah, yeah. I mean, I would also uh, Toronto would also come to mind for me. I mentioned this earlier on. I think DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry are playing the best basketball of their careers right now. They're very happy with the situation that they're in and the one thing that's working against them I agree with both of you guys is that they haven't had playoff success they were swept by Brooklyn they've been first round exits both years so I really don't think they've really garnered a lot of playoff experience on that team to compete with a seasoned LeBron James a really a a grizzled almost a grizzled veteran at this point LeBron James even though he's not that old yet he's been through a lot of playoff basketball in his life so I think they're the one team that maybe could compete with them. I don't even think Miami has the gun, the, the firepower to compete with Cleveland. So I think Toronto would have the only team that really has a chance. Yeah. But what's working against them is their playoff experience I, or lack thereof. I will say this. I don't think LeBron and Cleveland, they want to face Chicago in the first round. Tyler, you said Chicago's the eighth seed right now. Yeah. Eight. I don't think you want to face Jimmy Butler, Pau Gasol, Derrick Rose. I know those guys are not once – what what we I mean not Jimmy Butler but Derrick Rose I know they're not once what we thought thought he's not once what we thought he was but I wouldn't want to face them in the first round I I just think they're probably the more complete team that that Cleveland could face um, Miami you know they're playing well right now I don't think they'll be a threat to LeBron I think they're too old um, and, and Toronto. I like Lowry and, and DeRozan. They, they're not going to beat LeBron in a seven-game se- series. There's no way. Yeah, I don't see So it. I think Chicago, they're not going to win win either. But th- that's the worst series, I think, for Cleveland is is Chicago. But I still think that is a, was, is a win for Cleveland. But that could go maybe six games. Chicago could, would definitely be a tough out at the, at the eighth seed. I'm, Jimmy Butler's a very underrated player in terms of skill. Pau Gasol can still play. And as you mentioned, Derrick Rose is still a threat despite not even being close to the Derrick Rose that he used to be. But that that's definitely, I, I agree with you, probably won't be a walk in the park for this Cleveland roster because even though Thibodeau is gone, the Bulls are still a pretty, pretty solid defensive team. They're a rough and tough team. So I, I think that would definitely be an interesting series to watch if everything works out the same way. Yeah. Well, let's switch over to the superior superior conference in the West. Yeah, uh, definitely, the 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 Warriors they lost to, to the Spurs recently at, at, in San Antonio. That was a very impressive by, performance by the Spurs. The Spurs are my pick to be the biggest challenge to the Warriors. I still think the Warriors are going to win it all, but 
the, the the Spurs, I think you can make a very strong argument that they'll win it all as well. I mean, they're a tremendous team. But, you know, Tyler, I want to start with you. It's Warriors-Clippers tonight. Yeah. I know you made a big prediction a couple weeks ago. Remind Tom your prediction. Remind the listeners your prediction. Yeah. Because I know this game tonight is a game you've been looking forward to. Yeah, my uh, prediction for the NBA Finals 2016 is the Clippers versus the Cavaliers. And wow. My, yeah, my reasoning is I think the Clippers – are the kryptonite, so to speak, to the Warriors. The last uh, playoff series the Warriors lost was to the Clippers. I know they weren't the team that they are now two years ago and back in the first round when it went to seven games. And I mentioned to Christian uh, before the show, in the three matchups that they faced each other this year, they have all been very close. The Clippers have held the lead in the fourth quarter. And San Antonio has put together a blueprint to beat this team. I just think if you could find a way to stop Steph Curry from going bananas... (laughs) <laughs> dribbling crossover through the legs, pull up threes. I think if you could just stop that in the seven game series, it's gonna be tough for them to to win. I know they're a jump shooting team and they've been that's what they are and they've been that for years now and they've won a championship doing that. I just think the Clippers will match up the best with the with the Warriors in the postseason. I know it's gonna be even hard just to get to them because there's a whole bunch of teams, OKC, San Antonio, they're just just powerhouses in the West, but I think the Clippers will have the biggest shot to beat the Warriors. And tonight, for their game in Golden State, I think they'll break uh, their record of wow. most most consecutive uh, home wins. You yeah. know, wow. this, Tyler, this is why I love having you on the show because <laughs> you have no no you have you don't care what people think. He doesn't care. He's this gonna is, predict what he wants. You have yes, you have the the guts to 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 say that, and I I appreciate that. I don't care if I disagree. That is that is a great bold prediction. I mean, I think you're completely wrong. I think the Warriors <laughs> are gonna are gonna easily win um, this tonight's game, and if they ever face the Clippers in a series, but. There's nothing wrong with that. The Clippers are a talented team. Tom, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I, as much as I, I appreciate your bold <laughs> prediction, I also am going to, to disagree with you on that. Mm-hmm. I think the Spurs brand of basketball is the kryptonite to, to the Warriors as opposed to what the Clippers brand of basketball is. If anything, I think the Clippers are more of a mirror image type team of the Warriors, and I don't think that's the, the formula to beat them. You need a much more defensive team. And also... Something that separates, I think, the Clippers from the two elites in the Western Conference, the Warriors and the Spurs, is their bench. They have a very weak bench, and I think this was exposed in the Spurs-Clippers game. They were outscored. The bench scoring was 51-20, to the Spurs over the Clippers, even with Paul Pierce, who was injured in that game. Aside from Paul Pierce, they really do not have a strong bench, and that's something that's really defined the Spurs and Warriors is that they have really great, uh, you know, solid players coming off the bench. And honestly, if we're talking just about starters, I think this, the Clippers starters scoring-wise could compete with anybody. And this is another yeah. thing that was shown in the Spurs game. They had 67 points combined from their starters in that game, only 20 from the bench. But I think bench play is a very underrated uh, characteristic in the NBA that is very important to winning games. And so I'm going to say that the top two teams in the West have great benches. And that's something that will separate the Clippers from the two elites in the West. I agree with you. But on paper, I thought the Clippers had a good bench. I mean, Jeff Green, they just acquired uh, Jamal Crawford, Paul Pierce, you know, Pablo Prigioni. I'm not going to. Yeah, on paper, it definitely is. On paper, but but they haven't been playing well. Yeah, and they've. In terms of competing with the other elite benches, they haven't been playing well. 51 20, they were outscored. The Warriors essentially have two starting lineups. Same with those Spurs. Yeah. 
I I just think with the with the Clippers as you mentioned, their bench has been um not what it's a, what they wanted it to be, and they've been banged up a bit too. Uh, Luke Mamamute has uh, had a fractured eye. Jeff Green actually had a concussion the other day and missed the game. Yeah. Paul Pierce is nowhere near what he was in Boston and even a little in Washington and Brooklyn. He's been a shell of himself. So, yeah, I agree with him. And um, I don't want Blake. Yeah, and that's the big part. Blake has been out since Christmas. Yeah. And in when it comes to playoffs, I think rhythm has a lot to do with what teams advance. So... I and I just mentioned to you before the show, Christian, that Blake is coming back by the end of March. Yeah, he'll have to serve that four-game suspension that um for for punching his uh athletic trainer, or manager, whatever they um called him. But once once he gets back into rhythm, which hopefully is right before playoffs start, like I I just still my heart is with the Clippers, and I just think they'll make they'll make a run. So Tom, uh, what, yeah, yeah. Well, go ahead, I mean, I'll, let me uh, throw throw in a throw in a question first. Tyler, you're a big believer in the Clippers, and we're talking about Blake Griffin coming back. It seems like the Clippers don't have problems with their starting lineup. They have a starting lineup that can compete with the elites of the league. Would you consider putting Blake Griffin off the bench when he comes back to add some firepower to that bench? Oh, yeah, 100%. And I've, um, I follow a lot of insiders for like the Clippers and a lot of people who are in the locker room all the time. And uh, – I think that would be the perfect fit for him to come back from this injury because he's he broke his hand and he tore his quad. Those are two serious injuries, which a basketball player will need to be a hundred percent, of course, before he comes back. And I think if he can find a way to man up, so to speak, because he is a superstar, all-star player, averaging twenty-three and eight and five. So like his numbers are superstar caliber. I would love him coming off the bench come postseason because. Like you said, our bench hasn't been what it was, and our starting five without him for the past 40 games have been have been very well and can compete with the, all the other starting fives in the league. So if you can have Blake come off the bench and mix that in with, with Austin Rivers and Wesley Johnson and and uh, Cole Aldridge and just a lot of different names coming off our bench, I think Blake would be perfect coming off the bench. Yeah, you know, that's an interesting question, Tom. You know, if Blake can put his ego aside – Maybe maybe that is a good situation because a lot of people think they've been better without Blake in that starting lineup. But no, you know, exactly. It's DeAndre to kind of get more of a role. Exactly, and then when you miss forty games, you don't just throw a person right back in starting lineup. You know, I think you they should start off coming with him coming off the bench the last couple of games of the regular season, kind of like a trial and error scenario. See how it mm-hmm. works, and um, hopefully uh, Blake Griffin can uh, swallow his ego and uh, can uh, you know come off the bench. I think that'd be a great fit. Yeah. So even if their bench wasn't having the the issues that they're having right now, he like you said he missed forty games. He'd most likely come off the bench anyway. Yeah. So see if you know he's playing well and helping off, helping out that bench, helping out the bench scoring. Yeah. And if he does well, keep him there. It's just a matter of him swallowing his ego, like you said. So just just to clarify, I have the Warriors winning it all. Tyler has the Clippers winning it all. Tom, who do you have? I also have the Warriors. I think yeah. They're unstoppable. I, I don't think there's a team that can stop them. The the Spurs have the formula to stop them, but I don't think they could. They played an unbelievably perfect defensive game to stop the Warriors in terms of traps and and making them uncomfortable on the perimeter and forcing them inside. I don't think the Spurs can play that perfect defensive game all seven games of the series. All right, I, there you have it. I mean, 
Uh, I think that. And then will... no one in the East, I don't think, can stop the Warriors once they get past the Spurs. No, I, think I agree. Be... I, I think yeah. LeBron's going to be tearing out whatever Harry has left after, after <laughs> this finals. I really do. Um, there you have it. That's that's pick and pod, guys. Did I miss on anything? Do you guys want to touch on anything else? Um, <laughs> we we could we could uh, quickly touch on the Anthony Davis situation in yep. terms that he's three years with a partial tear in his shoulder. That's something. He claims that a lot of people do, but I, I really have never heard of that before. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. If there's one Kentucky big man if you're taking to build a team, Anthony Davis, DeMarcus Cousins, Carl Anthony Towns, who you got? Uh, We've had I'm this going, conversation many times with with, uh, with other guys here. I want your opinion, Tom. I'm going Anthony Davis. He wow. Really Despite the injuries? Yeah, I, I, he's really developed into that can't-miss number one pick that they said he was going to be back when he was drafted. I would definitely take him as he's a great scorer, a great rebounder. I think he's going to be a perennial all-star for years to come. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. As for the Kentucky big man, I would definitely take Anthony Davis over DeMarcus just because of DeMarcus's attitude. Honestly, I'm not a fan of him by any means. I just think the way he acts on the court mm-hmm. is a little... Push the is security little, guard at the next game. Yeah, no, that's... Oh, yeah, the it, garden, yeah. It's just a lot of... A lot of stuff from him on the court. I just I'm not a fan of the way he reacts for the calls. It's just yeah, Anthony Davis for as for Kentucky big man. I'm definitely going with. Yeah, the, you with, compare with the, two, the, the, the two demeanors here. You have a guy that has been always a complainer and always has had a bad rap in terms of his attitude. He pushes a security guard for no reason at MSG, and you compare that to a guy in Anthony Davis who has played through a shoulder injury for three years, that's two completely opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to attitude and caring about the team and being a team player. That's yeah. another reason why you'd go with Davis. It's yeah. a partially torn labrum in his left shoulder. He's he's out four to five months. He's going to miss the Olympics. I don't know what the situation was down there. Apparently they knew the whole time and that they were eventually going to have to have you know undergo surgery. Um, but Anthony Davis, yeah, I, I guess he'll be fine for next season. Um, I guess it's better to get it out of the way now, considering they're not going to make the playoffs. But I'm going Carl Anthony Towns. I love Carl Anthony Towns. I've said it many times. Um, I just love his demeanor. I love his attitude. Not that I don't like Davis's attitude, but I just think Carl Anthony Towns is a leader. He'll be a, a superstar for many, many years, along with Christoph Porzingis. I think this draft class is pretty darn good. Okafor is in a bad situation, but he's playing well. And yep. D'Angelo Russell is really starting to come on with that backcourt of him and, and Clarkson. So, uh, yeah, now now I think we're I think we're all set to, to finish. Uh, it was great having you on, Tom. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. There was so much confusion before the podcast. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm it was good to get work. you on. I was able to do it from the comfort of my own home. I do this every week. <laughs> and, and Tyler, always a pleasure to have you in the studio talking basketball. Thank Thanks, you, guys.